And this is View the Valley's podcast, episode 35 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. Well, first off, TJ, it's been a busy week in the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley. And Well, you know what? I'm sorry, TJ. How rude of me. I didn't even ask how you were doing. So how you been doing, oh, TJ? Doing okay. You know, just dealing with the cold weather like all of the Midwest. Uh, you know, thankful I don't live in Texas again. Oh. Poor folks down there doing the, the, the blackouts and because. I mean, there's never a good time for a blackout, but no. you don't, you're not used to freezing temperature. This is even worse for it, but you know, just dealing with the snow and, uh, you know, other than that, just getting ready for the tournament, you know, we're what, two weeks away. Yeah. We're gonna we put this out. Yeah. How about you? How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, been a hectic week, you know, with all the snow we've had here and there was a, I guess I don't even say it was a report. It was like a Facebook post that somebody had put on Facebook about a week and a half ago, and one of our friends was showing people that, and people were like, well, that's a damn joke. There's no way we're getting 17 inches in this area. It's impossible. And turns out, I mean, we didn't get 17 inches, but, I mean, we got a lot in that time frame when they, on that Facebook post, it was projected like, from like Sunday to Tuesday night. I mean, I bet we had uh, throughout that whole course like twelve inches. I would think some areas did. I think specifically our towns, we had nine. But and I've never seen it drift so significantly. Some points in my yard, I could still see grass. In other parts, it was you know halfway up my thigh. Oh yeah, it was. Just- so you'd be walking along like, oh, there's the grass, and okay, I can't see my knee anymore. So. Yeah, (laughs) it's great basketball weather. That's what I love about basketball. You're not, you know, baseball, football. I love those sports, but you're fighting the elements. You know, how many hours do you spend looking at weather apps on your phone during baseball season? Oh, quite a bit. (laughs) Not only just more into that than you are even with with your Snapchat. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Not only the cold, (laughs) but the rain. Yeah, it's brutal. yeah, the only other, the only downfall part about the that weather is just whether or not you know schools can get to the opposing school's arena, you know, due to the yeah, you know, conditions on the road. Because I'll tell you, you know, doing what I do for a job, you know, working for a logistics company, you know, it's considered essential. So you really don't get, you know, you're not allowed to, I guess, just close down. But so went into work Monday and. The roads were fine, hadn't really started, but my God, by the time the shift was over Monday afternoon, I mean, it was the worst condition I've ever driven in. I mean, you couldn't see any part of the road at all. I mean, it was just like you're driving on ice and snow for yeah. the whole hour drive, because it typically takes about 28, 30 minutes for me to get to work. It took me an hour and six minutes to get home. Now doesn't sound that bad but it was just because there was no traffic i mean if there was traffic oh i mean it would have probably taken i don't know how long but there was just nobody on the roads yeah which is comforting and scary at the same time because like if i go off the road who's gonna help me yeah exactly but you don't want anyone coming at you (laughs) you just want somebody like half a mile mile behind you like hey you need help yes please (laughs) so i mean like yesterday i'm like oh i got up drove around a little bit saw the roads still weren't good i'm like i i'm not doing this i i called off use 
paid time off. There's, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to risk it, especially they were talking about a lot of blowing snow with a lot yeah. of wind. I'm like, okay, so a plow's going to come through and it's just going to get blown right back on the road. Yep. So, but other than that, I'm doing well. Good. Uh, good. During this week's... Like no, I'm sorry. I was just going to go ahead and I was going to have some storylines for us. Okay. Go ahead. Get us, get us rolling. Uh, during this week's episode, we'll recap last week's games, uh, what stood out to us between the two conferences, look ahead to this week, and at the end, we'll also reveal our all-blue-collar team between the two conferences. Uh, but first things first, I'll let you uh, start off here, TJ. Well, I think the big storyline from the Missouri Valley side is that uh announcement was made last Thursday, so you know we'll probably put this one out on this Thursday. What is that, the... Uh, 18th so on the 11th they announced that they're going to allow fans at arch madness but in accordance with the blues who also are attendants at the enterprise center they're going to limit it to 1400 people so each school my understanding is got 100 tickets to sell for all sessions and they're selling them in pods of two three and four and i guess by now most of them are probably eaten up but you can check with your school's box office and see if there are any tickets left and uh you know, usually we're used to having those in uh December or so, and here you are two weeks before, still trying to figure those things out, so people are probably scrambling. I'm still interested to see what they're going to do with uh, bands and cheerleaders and those other 400 tickets per game and stuff like that, and so it'll be interesting to see what it looks like. They're going to clear the arena after each game, so it'll be essentially nine sessions instead of uh, the traditional uh, five, and Start times are different this year, too. I was going over that today that, uh, you know, the games are starting at five on Thursday instead of the traditional uh, six o'clock, I believe it is. And uh, they're going three hour, three hours for each game. And I think on Saturday, usually they start in the they start in the middle of the day, but they're not starting until five o'clock Saturday night this year. So some changes if you have if you're able to get tickets, make sure you're paying attention to that. And uh, those times are a little bit different. Um, Tank Hemphill from Drake broke his foot against Northern Iowa when we were, all, when we were recording last Wednesday. So he had surgery uh, the next day and the reports are he'll be out up to four weeks. But uh, Coach DeVries said yesterday there is a, a, a possibility. He said that Hemphill could play in Arch Madness. I think it's a much better chance that they play you know, NCAA or NIT that he'll be available. But I said there's definitely a, a slight chance it'll be available. Um, one thing I forgot about last week, Gage Prim to the uh, I'm sure to the, uh, the other coaches in the league has announced that he is going to use his extra year of eligibility next year at Missouri State. Oh. So I'm sure the other coaches aren't real happy about that. <laughs> and I think the big news is is that you know Saturday morning uh, in Springfield, Missouri, that Coach Wardle announced the suspension of uh, Elijah Childs, Deshaun Henry, Daya Kingsby, and Terry Nolan Jr. Um, for uh, violation of team standards i think is basically how it was put and they're still going to be suspended on thursday against illinois state and uh you know there was harry schrader looked for some clarification and coach world was just adamant with his line of they are suspended and they will not play on thursday so it'll be seen whether or not they'll be back for the tournament or not or even uh you know their next series which uh is on uh, next weekend i believe yeah, actually, yeah, they play Illinois State tomorrow on the 18th, and then they finish up with Drake at home. So, 
you know, a team that, you know, is probably looking to make a, a move here late, trying to stay off of Thursday. And those, those events definitely don't help them. So, uh, yeah, that's be interesting coming down the stretch here. You know, some teams are down to two games, Indiana State, with their game today, and some still have as many as five heading into tonight's games. So there still could be some significant movement, I think, especially in the lower half. Once you get past Indiana State at four right now, I think that's where you're going to see the most movement. And all teams want to try to avoid that seven through ten seed so they have one fewer game to play. Yeah, that's, that's definitely uh... – Definitely going to hurt Bradley. I mean, depending on how long yeah. they are out past uh, this game against Illinois State, because I mean, you, you mentioned their names. I mean, it, it's a big chunk of the mm-hmm. team, uh, not just you know percentage wise, but just the amount that they play. You know, yeah. um, but getting back to the tickets for Arch Madness now, maybe I wasn't able to think this quickly with my math skills um, as you were talking, which is quite possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so how many tickets are actually left over per session for like outside outsiders to buy? Well, there'd be a thousand that are committed to all sessions. So there'd be another 400 if they're going to, you know, sell all those tickets. But so, there was nothing announced that I've seen about those additional tickets. So I don't know if those will be reserved for, you know, specifically for athletes, families. Cause usually I think the, the, Normal rule of thumb is that each player gets two tickets. Uh, they'll be saved for sponsors, you know, things like that. But uh, they cost a little bit more. I think they're running two hundred dollars a ticket. But again, you had to commit to two, three, or six, two, three, or eight. Excuse me. For the that's wrong. Two, three, or four. There's where I wanted to go for the whole tournament. So you know, I think if you're one of those fans that you know, I look at it from an SIU perspective, an Illinois State perspective, schools that are kind of uh, you know, looking almost locked in for Thursday at this point, do you want to commit, you know, 600 bucks, you know, and you may only play one day. Cause I know I'm one of those weird people that I'm, I'm okay whether it, you know, I really rather SIU be playing, but if they're not, I'm still going to have a good time. Yeah. I mean, you've been known to be there all day, every day yep. for the whole tournament. Yep. Make friends with the ushers and the, the uh, concessionaires and stuff like that. Yep, hopefully hopefully you'll be able to uh, get some tickets this year or Yeah, I'm working on it. But uh on the Ohio Valley side before we get into some of the games here, uh in the Missouri Valley and then the Ohio Valley, uh Jordan Adams uh, missed last night's game against Semo. Uh he only had uh two points in the first game they played against Semo and they won by 15 and last night uh it looked as if Austin P was going to come away with another win over SEMO back-to-back uh, uh, games on the schedule for him, two games in, I guess, three days. Uh, Austin P led by 13 in the second half and looked like they were going to pull away, but SEMO, uh, scrappy bunch. They kept uh, – clip. Uh, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Terry Taylor? Nope. Kept chipping away. Uh and next thing you know, it's a six-point game. And it came all the way down to basically the last the last second. And SEMO's been involved in so many of these games this year. They had four overtime games already this year, with one being double overtime. So they'd played five extra frames uh, before this game. Down three points, closing seconds. And of all people on the Red Hawks roster, 
Darius Agnew gets the ball wide open for a three. And I think he realized he was so wide open. He's like, ah, didn't you know how I was supposed <laughs> to shoot? He literally hesitated, took a step forward, saw where he was at, stepped back, and then drained a three-pointer to help send it to overtime for SEMO, where they would end up winning 86-81 behind a big game from Eric Reed on SEMO. Yeah, I mean, what a, what a big win for Coach Korn and the Red Hawks, though. I mean, oh, especially huge. bouncing back they just lost by 15. And, you know, you talked about before that they'd really struggled in, you know, in conference play against the top half of the conference, which is is to be expected this year. But, I mean, that that's a, a big win in your first year trying to rebuild that program. Oh, it is, especially because you've seen what they've done recently or this year. Uh, they were they've, – I think they've lost – they lost every game to a team with like a winning record, especially in conference play. Uh, they, I mean, most of them were good games through at least the first half, and then I think the the other program's depth started to take effect and started to pull away. So, I mean, it's a big win for SEMO and Coach Korn, and it gets the players realizing, hey, you know, we can compete with the upper half of this league. You know, and it just showed there, you know, you beat the preseason favorite in Austin P, and now you're going to turn around and you got uh, two games at home both against uh, Eastern Kentucky uh, before they hit the road for their final two against SIUE and uh, Eastern. But So big win for SEMO. Um, Moorhead State and Belmont, we'll get into that game uh, here in a little bit, but other than that, a uh, couple of the games in the Missouri Valley, TJ? Well, I think you know we, we definitely hyped it up last week, uh, Drake versus Loyola, but at the time we didn't know that Drake was going to be without Tank Hemphill. So just, you know, their leading score, their second leading rebounder, um, you know, that, that's, that's a hard thing to replace at any point, much less on two days notice with, you know, the hottest team in the league coming to see you. Uh, and it was a close game at half. The first game was a close game at half. And um, then Loyola just took off. They outscored Drake 50 to 20 in the second half, shot 63% from the four for the game. Ugwak, who's just been coming on like gangbusters, had 20 points. Crutwig with a double-double. And uh, Brody, I think, ended up fouling out, but he had 12 points. And Garrett Sturts, who uh, I think has been pushed into pressed into the starting role now with Hemphill out, uh, had 10. And in the second game, it looked like it was kind of going on that same pace. They were uh, tied at half. It was a really low-scoring game. And ended up that uh, they tied it at 45, of all things. It was a really low-scoring game for uh, you know Division One men's college basketball to go to OT it was a first overtime for both teams. So that's why I was thinking when we were talking about SEMO's what, fourth overtime game of the year. Um, but, you know, um, was it Drake went up three late in overtime? And yeah. then there were uh, two times that uh, Drake had shot clock violations with a three-point lead. It's, and then, you know, the first one, you understand, but the second one, I just it seems like that just can't happen. Those are bad turnovers. Yeah, I think I you know, texted it, you right when that second they, one happened. You know, and it's just you know, and but then Loyola still had three chances in the last what twelve or fifteen seconds when they were down one and just couldn't convert. So I know they said they shot sixty three percent in game one. They were only thirty five percent in game two, and uh, you know, so Drake was able to to kind of gut out that win and to save themselves and you know. I think Loyola is definitely in the driver's seat now, although I'm watching here. Northern Iowa's given 
uh, break all they want here in their second game of the season. So, you know, overall, I thought of all the series this weekend, there was only one sweep, and that was Missouri State going up against Bradley's uh, depleted staff. You know, and, and obviously they found out. We talked about losing Tank Hemphill on Wednesday night. You know, Missouri, uh, Bradley lost those guys Saturday morning. So now, you know, it's like a kid calling you in the morning saying, Coach, I'm sick, I can't make it. Well, not, but that was four of your top, you know, seven or eight guys. So uh, Illinois State, SIU, Illinois State just blew SIU's doors off in game one, 80 to 55. Um, you know, DJ Horn had 17 points. Um, Lance Jones for SIU only had two points. You know, uh, Ben Harvey, the, the Eastern Illinois transfer, had 14. And Kyler Filowich had a double-double for SIU. And then game two, it was almost like uh, two completely different games. Like they flip-flopped. And I think it's an indication of how young those two teams are. Because I believe they're the two youngest, while Loyola and Drake are uh, two of the three oldest. I think Evansville can be in there as well. But uh, in the second game, SIU wins 59-49 with 14 (laughs) points from Lance Jones. They started out the game six for eight from three-point range where I think they were six for 28 or something ridiculous the whole game in game one, that's SIU and SIU was up by as many as 17, uh, you know, but they shoot 37% from three in that game. And I think that's the difference is how well they shoot. You know, you could have asked coach Mullins like, well, what's the difference? Like, well, we shot the ball better, which is kind of a no brainer, but I really think it was, there's just a different level of energy, a sense of urgency out of the Salukis compared to the first one. And maybe that's, you know, hey, it's Illinois State. They're not very good, which, you know, SIU hasn't been very good this year. Maybe they kind of took that for granted. I kind of uh, got woken up, kind of got, you know, punched in the jaw, so to speak. So uh, Valpo, you and I, another split. I didn't know this, but Valpo had never won at Northern Iowa. I think they were like 0-14 in uh, Cedar Falls. So it was our first win there. Ben Cricky, the two games, he had 12 points each. Uh, Donovan Clay was coming off the bench, and uh, Coach Lodge talked about that in the Zoom call this week, and so it was just kind of a, you know, a wake-up call for him and trying to see how he fit in with with the team that way. Um, Austin Fife had you know a big, a good game for them in Game One with 14 and nine, but Trey Burhow had uh, you know two big games in the second game. Northern Iowa came back and won 74-60 shot really well they were 47 percent from three-point range in, in that game but when they were in this game my favorite stats were game two of the northern iowa balto series which northern iowa wins the two teams combined to go 22 for 23 from the free throw line jeez i mean that, that's what you expect though that's you know the old boosters up there when you miss free throws like Maybe you need to work on free throws. Like, oh, you're right. You're right, man. We, we <laughs> forgot to work on free throws. Somebody write that down. I always love this when you hear that. Uh, and in the sweep we talked about, Bradley, Missouri State. Um, Missouri State won the first game 80-58. to 58, And the second game, they won 72-57. They get 20 points out of Gage Prim in both games. Um First game it looked like Bradley was going to be okay. They jumped out to a nine to two lead and then promptly went five minutes without scoring. And then it was kind of all over from there in game one. Uh, and uh, Jamonte Black had twenty four points in the first game and fourteen in the second game. And Isaiah Mosley with twenty seven points in this in the second game. So you know, very decisive wins. I think Bradley, uh, you know, 
is still trying to figure some things out. We'll see what they look like if and when they get those guys back. But Missouri State definitely kind of assured themselves of the three seed. I think from what I read from Todd Aaron Golden is that even if Indiana State and Missouri State tie, Missouri State holds the tiebreaker. So that should uh, pretty much solidify the, the third seed for them unless you know some crazy things happen with Drake. They, there's still a chance they could move up here. Um, and then kind of in their travel partners, so they didn't play back-to-back in the sense of Saturday-Sunday, but Evansville, Indiana State played in Evansville on Sunday, but then they played again this afternoon, uh, today being Wednesday, and Indiana State swept that series as well. Tyreek Key, last I saw, I think he's fifth all-time in scoring at Indiana State now, and that's, I mean, we all know who's number one there, but he's made his way up. He wasn't even in the top ten at the beginning of the year, and uh, he had 29 on Sunday had 34 today, which I believe is a career high. And, you know, they're starting to play really well. So, uh, you know, I think Indiana State could be a force to be reckoned with. As you're looking at, if you're the five seed, you do really want to play Indiana State uh, on that Friday at the NBC tournament. So uh, I think Coach Lansing's got things rolling pretty well there. And, uh, you know, it'll be, it should be make for a fun tournament here. Definitely going to be a fun last week here. So that, you know, is heading into Wednesday nights or halfway through Wednesday nights games. And we're about halfway through the first half of what this is, uh, Northern Iowa Drake and then Valpo at Loyola. So that's how it stands so far. <clears throat> so it, what were the other big games there on the uh, OBC side, Christopher? So on the OBC side, uh, one of the one more or less one of the bigger games, but probably good to note uh siue you know after that long stretch of postponement that they were in you know they came back and added on to their one and oh conference record before their postponement started and they were four and two now you're starting to see a lot of games in very few days for the cougars and they're now six and six in conference play so they've gone two and four in their last six and their schedules really started to uh, heat up a bit, and mm-hmm. you got to wonder if if the energy and you know is starting to take effect. You know, have, not getting a lot of rest because um, you look at what they've done recently. You know, they dropped a game to Belmont, ninety four sixty two, then lost at home to Eastern Kentucky two days later. Uh, they did get lucky with a game against Murray. They got postponed, uh, one at Tennessee Tech, then lost by 20 to Jacksonville State, and then lost by uh, 29 to Murray State at home. So they're really starting to get a lot of games in, and their stretch coming up, brutal. At right, Austin P. At, at Austin P. at Murray State, and they come back against Moorhead State, and then they end the season with... Uh, two more home games against UT Martin and SEMO. So these next three are going to, I think they may uh, tell a couple things here going down the stretch mm-hmm. on what are the top eight teams going to look like uh, for the Ohio Valley. And three of these uh, teams, when you look at SIUE, has to play UT Martin and SEMO, and all three are basically right there. Right. So SIUE could decide which teams are going to get into this tournament. Mm-hmm. And the SEMO game to end the season, uh, they're they're currently holding the eighth spot right now. 
but they have two tough games against Eastern Kentucky, as I had mentioned earlier, and then Eastern, and then SEMO. But UT Martin, same way. You know, they play SIUE, but outside of that, the rest of their schedule consists of Eastern Kentucky, Moorhead, and then at Eastern Illinois. So they, they probably have the toughest remaining schedule because their two home games are against Eastern Kentucky, Moorhead, and then two road games against SIUE in Eastern Illinois. Well, I think it almost feels like it'll come down to that UT Martin at SIUE game next week, Thursday. Because, I mean, even if you play those other teams evenly or you play the same, you mean you come out of those teams with the same record, that's got to be the decider there. You know, SIUE's got to, I think I have a few more games. I guess it's one more game. They've only played 15 to UT Martin 16. So Correct. I think that's that's probably the difference right there. I'm going to call it right now. Whoever wins that game gets in the tournament. The other team doesn't. Yeah, I mean, and well, I think I had said earlier it was an error on my part that SIU was 6-6. Six and six. Uh, They were 6-6 six and six after their Tennessee Tech win. Uh, but they're 6-8. and eight, okay. And then SEMO 6-10. And, and then UT Martin 5-11. and 11, mm-hmm. And then Eastern's 4-12. and 12. I think Tennessee Tech and Tennessee State are... Uh, barring a miracle here they may be done but yeah i think you're right it could come down to that game and after seeing what semo did against austin p i mean it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me to see them try and put a game together and and not win one of these two at home against eastern kentucky you know they got they have some momentum going for them um they've won four games and as many games just recently playing at home so Oh, be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, another game that stood out to me, uh, Belmont beat Eastern Kentucky 92-74. But last, on last week's show, I had talked about Wendell Green Jr. on the, the tear that he had been on just, I mean, was the go-to guy for Eastern Kentucky. You know, you hear about Trey King, but lately it's been Wendell Green Jr. as a freshman. And I was interested to see how he would play against Belmont in a very up, upscaled up pace game uh he was ice cold and that had a lot to do with eastern kentucky losing by 18 uh he only had three points in the game he was held to just one of 10 shooting so didn't see that coming at all especially the tear he was on um been on fire uh, he was able to rebound with 17 points the following game uh, ben Shepard had a double double for belmont 25 points and 10 rebounds as he was 5-9 and nine from three-point range. Uh, you look at Saturday, the 13th, and Jacksonville State mentioned they won by 20 against SIUE when we are talking about that. Brandon Huffman was one rebound shy of a double-double. 13 points, nine boards. He did have an assist. Uh, Eastern Kentucky did get back on track. They beat Tennessee State 93-73, to so they put up a a good chunk of points and a lot of that had to do with i mean their foul shooting was almost perfect they were 19 and 21 from the foul line and shot a blistering 50 percent from the floor and held tennessee state to 39 percent they got a double double out of kurt lewis didn't they like 12 and 11 i think it was yes yeah they did and he also had four assists in the game so i mean he was all over the floor in that one uh, he was one of four players on Eastern Kentucky that finished with double figures as I, Wendell Green Jr. got back into 
Uh, his normal self, he had 17 points. And then Trey King, 14, and Faye added 15 off the bench in just 18 minutes of playing time. Uh, Tennessee, Tennessee Tech with a win over Eastern Illinois at home, 80-67. Uh, the one game that really stood out to me and I really wanted to talk about it, Moorhead State at Belmont. Uh, mm-hmm. Belmont ended up winning by 15, 73-58, and they took a 13-point lead into the half. This was your number one and number two seed uh, teams going head-to-head here in Belmont. And why I was looking forward to the game so much, it really didn't have as much to do with, yeah, I mean, the records are there. But everybody knows how good Belmont's offense has been. You know, They lead the league in points per game. They get up and down the floor. They shoot the three. Moorhead State's defense has been, I mean, top-notch. They're they're the best scoring defense in the league. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was less than 63 points per game they were allowing. And Belmont just, they had no problem. Uh, Moorhead State's offense hasn't been stellar this year. They've been winning their games on the defensive end. They've been winning games in the 50s. So to see Moorhead State only score 58 wasn't real surprising. But I was more surprised what Belmont was able to continue doing on offense. And I think that's just an indication on just how good Belmont really is. I mean, yeah. I mean, some people have said, and I mean, I've seen it too, uh, Belmont doesn't have or hasn't had the toughest of schedules. Yeah, you're going to play your games in the conference. But they didn't have, I mean, a very – strong non-conference schedule. I mean, their only loss was at home to Samford. Um, but outside of that, their non-conference schedule consisted of Howard, George Mason, a non-Division I school, Samford, Lipscomb, Kennesaw State, and Evansville. So not a very tough non-conference schedule, and I think that's why Belmont hasn't found themselves in the rankings yet. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with their scheduling purposes because I'm sure they had uh, some power five games on there as good of a program as Belmont has been. This was just COVID coming into play, and they just had to go with regional games. Um, But at one point, they had the 10th, I think, 10th lowest uh, strength of schedule in the country. Wow. Um, Yeah, that's not going to do them any favors. So, but then again, you know, it, you're, they're just doing what they could, you know. It, right. No. Yeah. There's nobody to blame, you know. But it's just so you look at, it, at the end of the year that they're they're definitely that's something that will be held against them if they don't manage to win the tournament. It, and it it probably will, and that and that's what I'll be honest. It sucks because mm-hmm. you can't plan for a pandemic like that. And and yeah, you could you could do what you know Eastern Illinois did, put a bunch of Power Five schools on there and be on the road a lot. But some schools didn't want to take a chance on. You know, right. getting COVID on the road and then having that postponement. You know, when you're at home or playing games in your region that you can travel to and come back right away, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about staying in a hotel or coming in contact with somebody else. But did see that Belmont did receive votes in the top 25 quite a bit, yeah. actually. They received, I think, 47. So they're right there. I mean, if they win, you know, their games this week. Uh, would not surprise me to see them get into the top 25 this coming week. So th- I think that win against Moorhead State, uh, it proved a lot. Uh, yeah. Just how they played against that defense. 
but I thought Moorhead State was going to play a little bit better and keep it a you know a very good game just going off of Moorhead State's strength of schedule. I mean, they had a loaded non-conference schedule like Eastern Illinois did, whereas you know you weren't sure what was going to happen with Belmont. Uh, you know, they're winning the games they should win, but the strength of schedule there a little bit of a gap from a couple other teams. But Belmont yeah, but proved why they're twenty-two was, and one. <laughs> go ahead. No, that, that's it. I was just gonna say, how about Grayson Murphy though, putting up a triple double? I think I kind of got spoiled growing up in the Magic Johnson era that you thought triple doubles were were normal, but you know he puts up a triple double. But then uh, Jacoby Wood comes off the bench and has nineteen points in just twenty-five minutes. I mean that is efficiency. You know, three for four from three point range. It's just, I mean, you get a guy off the bench, you get you nineteen points in twenty five minutes. You you hope you win by fifteen. Oh, so and, uh, and, I thought those were those are things that jumped out on the stat line from that game to me. Yeah, very good point. And I think it's also worth noting. I I think Casey Alexander should should get a lot of credit for um, being one of the better coaches in the league, in the uh, country this year, especially as. I don't think a lot of people expected Belmont to be where they're at. Obviously, they uh, they weren't picked to win the conference this year. You know, they're they're putting together uh, a game plan, a lineup without, you know, arguably their best player from last year, uh, right? Transferring to Xavier, so mm-hmm. you know, they had to deal with that as well. Um, you know, on Monday, Eastern Kentucky knocked off Tennessee Tech, eighty three seventy two, and then. Uh, I want to talk about Murray State here, what they did this past week and what they've been doing here recently. Uh, if you're any team in the conference, I don't think you want to play Murray State right now. Uh, beat SIUE 86-57. Uh, K.J. Williams, monster performance. 28 points, 14 boards, 3 assists. And Murray State has been able to find themselves at 12-9 and in the conference. They've now moved up to 5th place in the conference. And Let's just take a look and see what they've done recently. Going all the way back to UT Martin, uh, which was basically in the middle of their schedule, S- since that win, 79-57, to 57, they've gone 5-3, and 8-3. and three. <clears throat> So, I mean, at the beginning of the season, they were, they were struggling to find their offense, struggling to find their identity. But Coach Matt McMahon... Uh, I mean, it's it's obvious why he's up there in the win percentage in his six years at Murray State. They were able to keep working, keep grinding, and since that win against UT Martin, this is what their offense has done. 79 points, 82, 72, 73, 71, 77, 56 to Moorhead, uh, 76, 80, 84, and 86. So their offense has been clicking and the rest of their schedule it would not surprise me to see if if they went out games against eastern siue at home and then a toss-up game will be at jacksonville state but then again at tennessee tech so it wouldn't surprise me to see if they finish 16 and 9 mm-hmm. uh to finish the year after they it looked like well they were going in opposite directions when they started the year basically i think it was like yeah. Four I think six. it's reasonable to think they'll win three of these last four. Yep, yeah, I, I think, like like you said, the uh, was it the Jacksonville State game is the one because they're on the road. Jacksonville State's a good opponent, 
You know, I think that's the one where if they didn't win that one, it would be okay as long as they win those other three, though. They can't afford to lose one of those other three and lose to Jacksonville State. But, yeah, they're definitely uh, putting some ink on that stat page, that's for sure. Well, and another important part when you look at that Jacksonville State game, that could come a, that could play a factor in those uh, the buys for the OVC tournament. You know, they probably sure. they probably won't get the you know the first or second you know double buy for being in the top two, but that third and fourth seed still get that single buy. Mm-hmm. So you look at these next three outside of Belmont and Moorhead. You got Eastern Kentucky, Jacksonville State, and Murray State. One of those three isn't going to get that single buy, and this game at Jacksonville State could very well determine if one of those two teams gets that buy. Yeah. But and Jacksonville State plays at Belmont. They obviously play Murray, which we talked about, but then they finish the season hosting Austin P. So their schedule is much different, you know, from a strength perspective than Murray State's. And those are your your four and your five seeds right now. Yeah, I mean. It's, you know, an Austin P. Third team that hey, we want that buy too. But right. I, th- I think the, I mean, obviously a lot could change. But I think the loss at SEMO really hurts uh, their chance at maybe a buy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, time will tell down the stretch. So with that, uh, TJ, we'll look ahead to what's on the docket for uh, this week's slate of games. So what do we have in the Missouri Valley, TJ? It's it's actually pretty light. Uh, you know, we're on Wednesday, so. Uh, halftime of Northern Iowa Drake and Drake is up one I think or it's tied and Valparaiso actually leads uh, Loyola by seven with about two minutes left in the half and SIU and Missouri State haven't started yet but looking ahead to this weekend um, it's again pretty well tomorrow Illinois State plays Bradley for the last game of the war on 74 for the season and then this weekend, we only have two series. Evansville is at Drake, which the way the teams are playing, I, I would pick Drake in both of those games right now. And then Valparaiso is at Southern Illinois. So, and I just, I still can't figure out Valparaiso. They've been inconsistent. I think SIU has been inconsistent. Like we talked about some of their youth and uh, Valparaiso has lost their, their freshman who's played quite a bit for them this year and put up some points. So I, I think I see that one as a split, maybe Valparaiso at Southern Illinois. But Southern Illinois had the advantage of tonight will be three of five games in a row that they've played at home. And uh, given the weather, I think I don't know that the kids worry about it that much that the players do. But I think from Coach Mullen's perspective, that's one less thing he worries about because it's already taken care of. You know, I'm not worried about what's going to happen uh, with you know trying to get places. So. Those are the only, after tonight, those are the only five games before we get to next week in the final week of the season. Oh, you're right. That uh, is a very light schedule. Yeah, because this was, this coming weekend was designated, I think, as a a makeup weekend. So they kind of had that built in, that flexibility. Okay. But again, you know, there's some teams that'll have 14 games after tonight, and they'll only have two. Well, on the Ohio Valley side, and we kind of teased it here just to, you know, couple minutes ago uh first game on thursday uh, jacksonville state at belmont uh jacksonville state 14 and 7 10 and 5 uh, belmont 22 and 1 and then the perfect 16 and 0 record in ohio valley play uh right now uh vegas uh odds makers have at belmont by 12 and a half points 
I don't like that. I think it'd be a lot closer than that. Um, Jacksonville State's been very competitive this season, and the one area where they're going to have to get out and defend, it's going to be the uh, three-point mm-hmm. uh, three point arc. Mm-hmm. And Jacksonville State's playing some of their best basketball this year. Uh, they snapped a two-game losing streak after losing to Moorhead State in Eastern Kentucky. Uh, since then, they've won four in a row. Beat Martin 82-70, SEMO 66-54, both on the road, and then won 76-64 against EIU, and then just beat SIUE by 20. Uh, but this is a Jacksonville State team that not only has wins on the road over Murray State and Austin P. Um, they also got off to a solid start at the season, but they're going to need uh, they're going to need Darian Adams uh, to come up big outside of Brandon Huffman, and then talk about another guy here towards the end of the show that I think uh, could be a big factor in how Jacksonville State plays against Belmont. Uh, then you got Eastern Illinois at Murray State, SIUE at Austin P. Eastern Kentucky hits the road for a game against UT Martin. And then Tennessee Tech at Tennessee State. Uh, The Eastern Kentucky and UT Martin game, uh, that's one of those teams on the border. So you look at these next couple games for multiple schools, SEMO plays Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky plays UT Martin. Eastern Kentucky also plays a role in which one of these teams may get that eighth seed. Right. Um, you know, Eastern Kentucky's been uh, – they've been without Jamaru Brown uh, but have still been able to, you know, get it done for most of the season. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare on the road as as Eastern Kentucky. They're on the road for, well, the next, uh, next three games and then yeah. turn around and play Belmont at home. So uh, kind of a tough stretch. For now, am I reading this right that they're going to play back to back basically at SEMO? Yes, Saturday, Saturday, Monday. That's correct. Yeah, it was changed due to huh. the some COVID cancellations. Oh, well, I could. I mean, you got to think if SEMO sneaks one of those out, you're going to think that you left one of those because you had to play it on the road. Oh, absolutely. SEMO's still allowing fans. Of course, Eastern Kentucky is too. So that that has to come into play. <clears throat> Yeah, so I mean, I after seeing the game yesterday against Austin P for SEMO, I mean, if you're Coach Corn and the Redhawks, you're really going to try and sneak a win out at home against uh, Coach Hamilton and the uh, Eastern Kentucky uh, Colonels. Uh, you look ahead to Saturday, Jacksonville State at Tennessee State, Tennessee Tech at Belmont, Eastern Illinois at Austin P, Moorhead State at UT Martin. Eastern Kentucky and SEMO, and then SIUE and Murray State. Nothing really, uh, nothing really jumps out at you. It's just a matter of, will all the teams that are expected to win win? Right. Um, as uh, three of those, well, three yeah, three of those teams are on the road. So the Belmont Tennessee Tech game, uh, if they can win that one. Uh, Saturday outside of the one on Thursday as well. I don't see how they're not probably ranked in the top 25 come next time we're recording. And then Monday, Moorhead State, SIUE, and then SEMO 
in Eastern Kentucky. Now it has it listed that SEMO's going to Eastern Kentucky. I mean that that's not correct. Uh, Eastern Kentucky is going to be staying for that game against SEMO. Um, but outside of that, that's just kind of a quick look ahead to the games this week in the Ohio Valley. So with that, TJ, uh, we'll go ahead and work our way into our last segment here. And I know this was your idea from last week. Uh, so we're going to reveal our all blue collar team. Is that what you wanted to call it, TJ? Yeah, I do. I, and just, you know, whatever parameters you wanted to use, just the guys that you think, uh, I think sometimes you call them blue guys that they do some of the things that don't show up on the stat page or enough of the little things that uh, I was thinking of playing pickup games. And all of a sudden you have that guy that, well, he didn't score a lot, but dang it, when I get beat, he covers my butt. He's got the big guy blocked out on the boards. It, you know, he's, he's getting loose balls. Like, well, he may not have scored, but he did a lot of things that helped us get points back. So that's kind of what I had in mind when I thought of these guys, guys that I enjoy watching play. So I'll let you go first since I went first last week with the name team. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll get started here. Uh, so what I did, I got a couple guys on here. I mean, some people at their, at their school or a fan of their school, yeah, obviously they're going to know who you are, um, all of them really. But I think with the five that I have, there's only – there's one player that leads the team in points, but it's just not somebody that may come to mind for most in the conference. And then another one that's second on the team in points. The other three are kind of uh, middle of the pack towards the bottom on their uh, on their team. Uh, first guy on the list, Dylan Branson uh, for SEMO. He's a freshman, averaging about 15 and a half minutes per game this year. Uh, but when he plays, I mean, my God, he he is making the most of it. Uh, 10 of 11 from the foul line, 12 of 21 from three-point range. And as a guard in his limited playing time, uh, he's been able to pull down 16 offensive rebounds. And it doesn't sound like much, but by from watching Simo play, you know, most of the year, I mean, he's all over the floor. He's not a guy that's gonna, you know, force a shot um, unless he's wide open. He's not gonna shoot it. I mean, he's very good about getting the whole team involved, and I mean, that's what he's fourth on the team in assists for only playing 15 and a half minutes per game. Uh, he's averaging three points per contest, but being fourth on the team in assists and only playing basically that few minutes per game just kind of shows you what kind of player he is as he's able to get basically the whole team involved unless he's just wide open, which he found himself against Austin P when he knocked down a couple threes. Um, next on the list, uh, DeMond Robinson, uh, Murray State, sophomore, uh, he's not in the top three for the racers in points per game. He's actually fourth, but only averaging 7.2 points per game. Uh, but why did I put him on there? Uh, leads the team in block shots, uh, averaging one block per game, 22 on the season. But more importantly, with him only being fourth on the team in points per game, he's shooting 65% from the floor. I mean, it, that's – it. I haven't done my research into that category for him, but he's got to be near the top in the country in percentage from the floor. So whenever he's scoring or whenever he gets the ball, chances are he's scoring. I mean, he's got a great percentage, 
Doesn't score all that many points for the Racers, but nonetheless, a very key contributor to Murray State's success, especially of recent. Uh, go down to Tennessee State, uh, sophomore Mark Freeman. Uh, some may not know, some may not know him since Tennessee State is at the bottom of the league. However, he leads Tennessee State in points, assists, and steals. He's averaging over 15 points per game, almost four assists per conference or per game, uh, 3.9, and then averaging two steals per game. So not only is he good on offense and the main guy on offense for the Tigers, but he doesn't slouch on defense. You know, he's collecting those two steals per game, um, and he's on the floor a lot, about 35 minutes per game, and he has a positive assist-to-turnover ratio for uh, Tennessee State. Next guy on the list, we got Cooper Robb, Eastern Kentucky, and he's a junior. Uh, when you think Eastern Kentucky's scoring, he's probably not one of the your first five guesses that come to mind. He's eighth on the team in scoring average, just over seven points per game. Uh, he's averaging about 28 minutes per contest. However, uh, he's just behind Trey King on the team in steals per game. King leads the team in steals. Uh, Cooper Robb is averaging 1.6 steals per game, but has 36 on the year and has a great assist-to-turnover ratio, 43 to 24. But the other thing that stands out, while he may not be up there in points, he's very consistent and reliable for Coach Hamilton as he's second on the team in minutes played this year. So he's able to stay on the court um, basically whenever Coach Hamilton needs him out there. Uh, last guy, and this goes back to when we were talking about Jacksonville State, uh, Jalen Finch. Uh, he's a junior for the Gamecocks. When you think Jacksonville State this year, you're probably going to think Darian Adams or transfer Brandon Huffman. I mean, you got to hold it there. Uh, Jalen Finch leading the team in assists and steals. And his assist-to-turnover ratio, it's it's pretty damn good. Uh, 99 to 51. Also averaging, oh. also averaging over 11 points per game, which is currently second on the team. But most minutes played. Mr. Reliable for Jacksonville State. So he's on the floor more than any other player on Jacksonville State. But not only is he still um, above average in scoring with over 11 per game for second on the team, it's his assist-to-turnover ratio what, what puts him in this uh, all-blue-collar team. 99-51. to 51. Not afraid to get his teammates involved. Not going to be a ball hog. He's going to get his points, but he's also going to make sure the rest of the team is getting their points, you know, and get making sure Jacksonville State, you know, he's putting them in their best possible chance to uh, score on offense. So to recap, you got Dylan Branson, Damon Robinson, Mark Freeman, Cooper Robb, and then Jalen Finch are my uh, five all blue collar team in the Ohio Valley Conference. All right. I love it. So what do we got from well, your side, TJ? On my side, I started uh, with my alma mater, Southern Illinois, uh, freshman Dalton Banks, get out of uh, Wisconsin. Uh, hasn't started any of their games, he's, but he's played in all 19. And, you know, 
when I watch, I kind of like to watch him play the point with Lance Jones at the two, but he has played the two with Lance out there. But uh, and, and he'll run the floor when, when Jones is taking some time off. But he's still averaging over three rebounds a game, uh, has a positive assist to turnover ratio, and about 6.6 points per game. And I don't, when you watch him play, it doesn't seem like he forces any shots. Like he kind of lets the game come to him. He's a guy that makes the extra pass. Uh, when it comes to those types of things, I just think he's a, a really positive team player to watch him play. Uh, from Northern Iowa, a guy that I've liked for three years now is Tawan Pickford. Um, he His stat line, again, doesn't jump out at you. 4.3 points, but 3.7 rebounds per game. And it seems like he's the guy that's getting the, the tough assignments on defense when he comes off the bench for uh, Coach Jacobson there at Northern Iowa. From Valparaiso, I uh, chose Ben Gordon. Now, I think Ben has started most of the game. Excuse me, not Ben Gordon. I apologize. That's his cousin. Aaron Gordon is the guy I'm talking about. But uh, seven, almost eight points per game, five rebounds per game, and uh, 1.4 assists per game. Uh, He does need to work on his free throw shooting because, you know, I've seen him kind of struggle there he's shooting 69 percent. it's not to say i could do better but you get like games you're trying to seal them up or close in you need every one of those points you can get um from bradley uh, another guy that i've really liked watching over the past few years is Deshaun henry Deshaun henry and my first guy too seem to have this instinct to find the ball off the rim on the offensive end of the floor i don't know how many times i've seen Deshaun henry over the past two years find a, a loose ball or a rebound that is actually bounced, catch it and dunk it. I mean, he's so explosive. That's why I love watching him when he's in the game. And uh, once in a while, he might knock down a three for you. And then uh, probably I would say everybody's was everybody's favorite super sub until this last weekend when he starts now, but and he gets a huge ovation every time he's on the, on the floor is Drake's Garrett starts. Like, I think he's the definition of it comes from a a small town and they've done the, the uh, uh, spotlight piece on him several times for Northern Iowa games and kind of how he's made, made his way. And he just feels like he'll guard anybody on the floor for you, whether, you know, it's Cameron Crutwig or, you know, uh, you know, Bowen Bourne, he's going to be the guy going out there to, to go guard them. If that's what he needs to do, for his team. And those are the guys that I love to see out there that are so versatile that, you know, can do so many different things for you. And, and from a coaching perspective, like, well, I can put Garrett in and I can get two or three guys rest because he can play for all three of them. You know, so instead of having to, you know, everybody has their individual sub and maybe you get a fall off, you know, Garrett's in there and he can, he can fill in for you for quite a while too. So, Again, Dalton Banks from SIU, Tawan Pickford from Northern Iowa, Aaron Gordon from Valparaiso, Deshaun Henry of Bradley, and then Garrett Sturts from Drake. So I don't know exactly how the all-bench team vote works, but uh, I hope that these few starts don't cost uh, you know Sturts and Henry especially a spot on that team because I think they were shoe-ins coming into this uh, last week or two before Sturts starts, starts games in place of Tank Hill. Okay. That that's a good list. I uh, I like the idea that you had uh, last week. You know, putting this uh, putting it together. You know, I I know for me, I I mean, I enjoyed trying to find you know the five guys that kind of stood out to me. Um, yeah, I mean, next we're gonna probably have to do our all conference team. I guess here yeah. in the coming 
two weeks. Are you going to do that next week before the uh, press conferences that they formally announce them the week yeah. after? Yeah, we can do that. Okay. And uh, player of the year? Yep. Yeah, we'll do now, that Now, do too. we do uh, player of the year plus five or player of the year as part of your first five? Player of the year plus five. How about that? Okay. All right. Sounds good. And then what we'll, what we can do on top of that is do our – Player of the year plus five, and then we'll do our sixth man of the year. Okay. So we'll do right. seven seven people, I guess, and then. Sounds good. If you want to do coach of the year in there too, we can do that as well. All right. Um. Before we round out the show here, uh, TJ, just kind of looking at some of the college basketball uh, scores, especially for today. Uh, Kansas and Kansas State twenty six seventeen at halftime. I mean, you want to talk about a low-scoring game. I mean, people are getting but, their money. if we have a shot clock, we'll score more points, Chris. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> oh, hell. No comment. Um, <laughs> uh, Duke playing Wake Forest. Duke winning 36-22. Um, nothing really uh, standing out outside of a uh, – tell you what – Butler was favored over Marquette today and at home at Marquette. I just steamrolled him 71 to 45. Held Butler to 45 points at home. A uh, couple good games here uh, coming up the rest of the night. You got Minnesota at Indiana and Utah State and Boise State in the Mountain West. Uh, but the one area I did want to mention real quick uh, Northeastern playing at North Carolina today. Uh, North Carolina won by 20, but. Roy Williams just wanted to get a home game. They haven't had they hadn't had a home game in almost a month, and he basically had just sent out a feeler and said, "Well, somebody just basically play us at home. Don't care who it is. We just want a home game." And Northeastern jumped on it. So good for Northeastern wanting to play a Power Five school, and I guess kudos to Roy Williams for getting a home game, getting another win on that uh, uh, record. Yeah, I'm sure all the mid-majors and low-majors felt really sorry for North Carolina not having a home game for a month, too. Yeah, I'm sure they were. <laughs> they just looked at that and said, don't care. But uh, Personal problems. <laughs> oh, But with that, TJ, do you have any uh, final thoughts here? No, I don't. Just, you know, you know me, I'm always excited. Last week's of the season coming down to the, the end here and see how it all plays out. It's been crazy, for sure. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up with that. It's 8.08 here uh, Central Time. It gets you uh, seven minutes for your Carbondale game tips, so I'll let you get settled in. Uh, But with that, that'll wrap up Episode 35 here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we roll on with Episode 36, and we'll give you our Player of the Year All-Conference team and our Sixth Man of the Year during the episode as well as a recap of this week's games and a look ahead to the following week as well. Uh, Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. And also you can subscribe to the podcast on Google, SoundCloud, and Apple. Hope everyone enjoys the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.